You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And I'm James. Join us as we journey into beekeeping while we learn to be the change, one hive at a time. Welcome back to another podcast. Today we are joined with a very, very super double famous individual. And YouTube star. YouTube star. And sensation. Sensation. Upcoming podcast sensation, Dustin Thompson. Say hi, Dusty. Hello, everybody. I don't know that I'm number one. Are you number one in my book, Dusty? (laughs) Number one on the charts and number one in my heart. Oh. (laughs) I like that one. Well, Dustin has been a part uh, of our crew for a long time. Uh, One of the original fellas. OGs. Yeah. Met Dustin back uh, when we were first uh, going down the Homestead wow. Road, and uh, we we hit it off, and uh, have uh, he's been a great help around here. He's helped us build uh, the workshop, the, the addition, the, the all the fencing at the farm. We've been busy working on Susan's secret project. Shh, don't tell. Was there, it's okay. I mean, she doesn't listen. We'll be fine. She yeah, right. she no Was idea. there any special uh, dandelion meat involved in any of this? Justin Hunt made some uh, dandelion wine at that workshop that was to die for, meaning if I ever drink it again, I'll probably croak over and die. <laughs> but that's pretty <laughs> much the start of this whole dangerous. journey here. There was much consumption and problem-solving done that Actually, uh, Jimbo, that's where I met you too, wasn't it? Yeah, we all met in the same place. That's right. Dan, yeah. Dan came just a hair later. Yep. Yeah. Just uh, f- fashion like Dan. Just d- always fashion late. Late. I'm on Dan time. Dan time. Yeah. Yeah, so we met you, uh, met you fellas. Uh, Steve Harbolt's workshop. Yeah, Steve Harbolt put a uh, workshop together and asked me to talk about our homesteading, getting started kind of a thing. And well, that's the OG founder of the uh, Underground Meadery Facebook group. Yeah, I would have never have guessed that. Uh, you know, sitting there up until three o'clock in the morning solving the world's problem, wow. one glass of meat at a time, would have uh, we'd be sitting here uh, all these years later. But uh, you know, here we are in all of our infamousness. That was the night you put your uh, your bone sauce in my face. That's right. Yep. Yep. I didn't hear you complain one bit. <laughs> if you're not familiar with bone sauce, it's probably not what you're thinking. <laughs> not at all. It's a super secret elixir you make from the bones of dead animals to keep deer off your trees. Oh, okay. And then uh, I guess, Dan, while we're going down memory lane, I got a message from some guy on Facebook who wanted to buy some comfrey. And he bought some comfrey, and he said, do you ever do farm tours? And I was like, farm tours? This is just like a little homestead. What do you want to come tour about? Well, long story short, him and his wife, Christy, met us at a Columbus at a little get-together we put together, and the rest has been history. From Dan, Dan's been here, help with the addition, uh, critter wrangling. All you guys have been here butchering animals and putting uh, getting meat in the freezer and all the shenanigans around here. Of course, if you haven't heard Dan and Greg's excellent adventure, episode 12, you can go back and check that out. And Dan and I had a heck of an adventure last year delivering bees, and we're going to do that again this year. So we've had a, we've, we've built a nice history, all of us together, getting to know each other and, uh, and helping out on projects and the lots thing, of shenanigans. The thing about Dan is that <clears throat> we don't choose him. He chooses us. That's right. He's yep. like a stray cat. Yeah. He, I mean, he, I, I, <laughs> He friend requested me one day after, you know, uh, you know, he started meeting you guys and classic Dan move. Okay. I no no one probably knows this, but if, if you ever get into, is this appropriate for, look look at Dan, if, if you, if, if Dan ever, uh, if he ever works his way into your kitchen for work and he intentionally leaves his mud boots behind, it's like he's, he wants to keep the relationship moving forward. So he leaves something behind. (laughs) Every time. So he he has to come back and get it. And the rest has been a long, beautiful history. Beautiful history. I left my boots here? Yeah. I really didn't remember that. And I I texted you or called you, and you said something like, oh, I'm sure I'll be back soon to pick them up. And I was like, okay. You know, know, funny uh, thing is, I left a post pounder up at his place when we... Did all that fencing last winter or winter yeah. before? Oh. I haven't been asked back yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I got you a new one because I couldn't find it. I used it for like a year and I couldn't find it. The thing about a post pounder is when you pound the last post, you know, you're you say 
I will definitely remember where this is at. And I'm going to actually leave it on the post if I can. Yeah. And then you go to find it and you can't remember where where was the last post that I pounded. You have to, can't even remember. I know the last post I've pounded. It was the uh, center of the wagon wheel for all of our grazing. There you go. I, th- I thought it was going to go somewhere different with yeah, that I one. Thought so too, uh, <laughs> I, oh, I was going to say. This is the contrary that, beekeeper show after all. After that, I said I'm never pounding posts again. <laughs> and so far, I've helped And his true. wife can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dan posted uh, an invite on the contrary beekeeper show Facebook page, uh, inviting questions that you may have for us. Um, not that we are anyway any kind of credible source of any information. This was just a bad idea from the get go. Yeah, I'm sure if you depend on these uh, answers to questions for life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness, you might be sorely disappointed. Definitely yeah, I, I think our lawyers aren't happy with us right now for putting on this show. Disclaimer: uh, We are not yeah. giving uh, legal, financial, or marriage advice. Uh, Definitely not marriage. So dispose advice. of this information accordingly. Great at marriage advice. Now, if you want marriage advice, please contact our friend Jimmy Collins. He will help you. He will help you. But before he, the only payment he actually requires for advice is he has it actually written that you actually have to send him a MAGA red hat and matching sweater. And you have to put a Trump. They got MAGA sweaters? That's a true story right there. True, you have to put a, 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 a Trump sticker, bumper sticker on your car and his. It's a weird thing he has. I'm not sure why he does that, but hey. We don't judge people here. I appreciate Jimmy Collins. They have MAGA sweaters? You're wearing one right now. Make America great again. Redo. I'm not sure what the redo things. Is that like a reference to a Charlie Sheen movie? Yeah. Spaceballs. Okay, good. Yeah. See, I, I am up on pop cultures. Wow, good for you, Greg. <laughs> well, today... Jeez, our- I just take questions. <laughs> So our infamous MC Dustin Thompson is going to ask the questions, and we're going to attempt to provide some kind of an answer. Will it be a, a correct answer? I can't say, but it will be an answer. Depends on the context. It depends. It depends. Yeah, like everything, right? Context is king. Oh, that was key. That was king. No, because it's uh, Dustin. So feel free to jump in here at okay. any time. Yeah. Uh, well, to guide just, and herd the circus of cats. Just so everybody knows. I don't have bees. Okay. I do look to, in the future, get bees. So the things that I've picked up, listening to you guys and seeing what you do. um, You won't do any of it? Well, I won't say I won't do any of it, but it definitely, I'm learning from your failures. Oh, okay. Which is lots. But I can read the questions. Excellent. You can read? Electricians read? That's our only our only stipulation for a, for a podcast guest is, can you read? Yeah. <laughs> well, our MC maestro, Dustin, you want to lead us off with some questions? Sure thing. Uh, first question came from, well, group of questions came from Sean Brown. Uh, he wanted to know, if you were a honeybee, what race would you be? Cornolian? See, I don't know any of these, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing them right or not. Cordovian, Italian, Russian, etc. Dan? I would probably have to go with something Africanized because generally people don't mess around with the Africanized bees, and I just want to be left alone. Jimbo, <laughs> you know, you know, as much as I'd like to be a uh, Russian communist, uh, I think I'd probably go with uh, Carnolians just because I've had experience with them, and they are more one of the more Gentile bees that I've 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 I worked with. I worked with those in my first year, and now I'm doing a small cell bees out with, with, from Don, but. Carnolians would probably be my choice. What would uh, Gregory be? What type of bee would Greg be? <laughs> yeah, what would you be there, Greg? I would be a Caucasian mutt. A Caucasian mutt? Viking hillbilly in my blood. So I've got Norse, Scottish, Irish. So I would have just complete muttery. That sounds like a good plan. As far as yeah. characteristics and all that kind of stuff, man, that's Sean asked a tough question. If you don't know who Sean Brown is... Go back to episode. What episode is that? I don't know. Oh my gosh, that was one of the earlier. Hive episodes. Mind with Sean Brown. You can learn all about Sean episode Brown. Episode nine. Beekeeping. Episode nine. Now, what are the, what is the 
breed or so there's different the fat beemans those they, are just they're mutts they're just yeah mutts. they're mixed so yeah. they, they've got carniolian they've got italian they may they probably have some uh some caucasian in there they're they're mutt bees uh it's, it's kind of like dogs of the bee world okay yeah so there's you a lot of well, because, because I, on the show you guys always talk about the fat bee man's those breed bees, yeah. but it, yeah. it's always kind of a question that i've yeah they are yeah. yeah that's it's not a single uh breed of bee uh, more importantly, they have a lot of mutt hybrid vigor uh, by by uh, him selecting those calm, gentle, small cell bees. Uh, you end up with a bee that's uh, hardy and adaptable and prolific uh, and healthy. So, I would say that fits you to a T, Greg, <laughs> except for the small part. <laughs> You right. Isn't there fat jokes? No, I mean, no, I mean, no. You, you're, and... you're 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 trimmed down. So, oh, thanks you, for you, those you and that, you and that keto. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also asked, "What was the what is the worst advice you'd ever received in beekeeping, and what is the best advice you ever received?" I could almost we could probably do a whole show on just the worst, worst advice. advice. Yeah. Oh gosh. I really can't think of one specific or even like a group of them. I think more so than like an individual, uh, you know, piece of advice. I think there's a whole conglomerate of beginning beekeeping uh, advice that is just counterintuitive. Yes. And that could be a complete, uh, complete show uh, in that of itself. I think for me, you know, the these things were uh, the worst advice that I ever picked up and I ever learned was that bees magically on their own can survive and thrive all pest pressure no matter where you are in the country and that they don't need any kind of management or treatment. I think that was the absolute worst advice that I ever picked up early on. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. What was the best advice you ever gotten? The best advice that I ever received for beekeeping was throw away the catalogs. You don't need all the crap. If the bees don't have it in the trees, they probably don't need it. Pretty sage advice. Common sense beekeeping that I learned from the fat bee man has been instrumental. I mean, the tools you need for beekeeping is your hive tool and a smoker. You don't need all the fancy this is and the extra. Yeah. You just don't need it. So you don't need like, you know, a $600, you know, you know, uh, you know, vaporizer for your, your bees. I, I do have a fancy $450 vaporizer. So do I. Do you, do you have to have that? Oh, no. Because no. you, you can actually take copper and you can crimp one in and put a T on it. Uh, and put a, a a torch on one side mm-hmm. and drop you some mosaic acid on the other, and you can build it for twenty bucks or less if you want. Mm-hmm. But I also value my time, and I have other responsibilities than just context. Bees. You know, and this it, depends yeah. on where you're at with your situation. Mm-hmm. It's all about context. If I, you know, wasn't selling, you know, when when you're selling nukes and you're selling queens, you're you're at, you're actually held at a different uh, level of responsibility than you are if you if you have one or two hives in your backyard and you're pulling some honey off. You can you can fly under the radar with it, with just a few hives, and you don't have to be inspected. When you're selling nukes and queens, however, you do have to play ball with mm. state regulation, which means I have to be inspected. The man. Yep. And so that being said, you know I have to be uh, inspected and also certified to be able to sell queens and nukes that they are free of disease and pests and things like that. So you actually have to go about that a little bit differently. But uh, out of anyone who's ever uh, tried to uh, pass beekeeping knowledge to me the absolute best uh has been what i've learned from the fat bee man and that's the common sense approach uh to beekeeping to where you don't need all the gadgets and the gizmos and all the things there what you really need to do is go spend time in the bee yard and learn from the bees yeah that's great advice uh was asked a couple of times where is the most painful place on your body you've ever been stung or i guess there's bad, there's bad stories yeah Dan, do you have any bee sting stories? Uh, inner thigh, upper inner thigh, and that meaty, fleshy part. Was that when you were doing the nude beekeeper pose for that magazine? 
No, no. That's that a was, different time. I actually lucked out that day and I was just fine. That one's for fun. And, yes. Uh-huh. My personal collection. Inner thigh. Yep. How did you get in your inner thigh? I had a hole in my jeans. Oh. I didn't know there was a hole there. And I quickly realized that there's a hole in my jeans. I'll be darned. Yep. How'd you get so. the stinger out? <laughs> Very gently. What <laughs> <laughs> you, Jimbo? You know, I, I have been lucky enough that I've really only been stung in my hands and wrist area so far. Uh, so it's, I mean, that's a pretty common place, you know, I, I think for most beekeepers. I think the the worst time was when I decided not to get the stinger out right away. Mm. And so that that left my hand to swell up for several days. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, I, I was, you know, trying to get back to the garage to go get, find something to remove the, the stinger with. Well, I should have just, you know, taken my hive to all the time and popped it out. At the, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty on that. Yeah. But the faster I get the stinger out, obviously, the better. Yeah. I had one time I was in the bee yard and I was working the bees and, you know, I, I usually don't wear a suit at all. I, I usually don't wear anything. Just, yeah. I just go out and whatever I'm wearing. I'm underwear. Usually, I'm usually wearing clothes, though. Underwear. Usually wearing underwear. Yeah. And they go out there to work the bees, <clears throat> and I'm working them. And I I, I know that there is, I, I can feel bees crawling up my pant leg. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're crawling up higher and higher and higher and higher. Well, they they, they, they get to a gentleman's, uh, you know. Honeypot. Honeypot. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden, my rear end starts vibrating. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> it was actually Dan was calling. And my so phone was on vibrate, a... uh, and so you know, when I was, once I realized that, I was fine. So, do you saying that Dan makes your rear end vibrate? I, you know, he, yeah. <laughs> you guys are so lucky. This is a PG show. Oh, that's funny. I've had bees fly. I've, I've literally had bees crawl up in my up into my nose, and I just stay calm and I let them crawl back out. I've had them fly into my ear ear holes. What do you, what's an ear hole call called a Ear canal, ear canal, ear canal. I've had them go to my ear canal and then come back out. I've had them fly behind my uh, sunglasses. Uh, I would, I would say my most memorable uh, bee singing experience was uh, on uh, Greg and Dan's excellent adventure. I was just think. I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, Dan knows what I'm going to say. It's a long story. If you want to hear the full story, check out episode twelve. Twelve, I think. Twelve, yeah. Long story short, you know, Dan and I were running down to the Fat Bee Man's yard uh, and we're picking up packages and also nukes uh, to deliver across the country. Well, I'm, I'm a commercial student of the Fat Bee Man. I'm one of Don's keepers. I have his stock. I sell a stock across the country from Ohio. So when you're a commercial student of Don's and you're going down to sell and pick up nukes to then sell them, you're actually putting the nukes together and making sure that the, everything is legit and everything is beautiful inside of, the, of that nuke. Well, we get there and we pull up and it's a torrential downpour. I mean, like whiteout rain and lightning and thunder. Yeah. Uh, and we're already running late. There's videos started. of that, isn't there? I, I think there might be. I a, think I posted on, one of it. Yeah. Maybe look back on the country beekeepers page. Or there might be. There might be the a couple river of rolling down Don's driveway. Yeah, and that's after. That's you know. Yeah. So even Don's front was flooding. It was like it was pretty intense. Well. Like, that's not really a big deal. If you're just going somewhere to pick up bees, that's not a big deal. But when you're delivering all across the country and you're on like an extremely tight time frame uh, and you've already been having truck problems and, and transportation issues and all that, you're already a little bit stressed out. So then you have all this rain and storms that you need to then go into the bee yard and actually put 20 to 30 nukes together. That takes some time. And then it's raining. And so I had no choice but to suit up put my jacket on and then get to work and start putting those. The, the rain started to slow down. It was just drizzling. It was still raining, um, but I was out there putting all the, putting all these nukes together and going in, you know, pulling frames of bees out of Don's boxes. I'm expecting them, putting them in these new boxes. And I'm just so like intense and focused on getting that done to where I know I've got bees crawling on me. They're on my hands. I'm, my hands are getting stung. When you get stung, the thing that most people maybe don't realize is when a bee stings you and then flies off and leaves the sack with the stinger, that stack the the, the sack is contracting. It's pumping that venom in through the stinger right it right in right right into you over and over and over and over again. So if you don't get that stinger and that sack off, you're you're just you're 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 like on the IV drip of bee venom. If that's like a, you know one or two or five or maybe ten 
bees, that's, you know, that's going to leave a mark, but that's not going to hurt you. Well, it kept happening and happening to the point where I almost went numb. Um, my hand started swelling up. Uh, I started to get a little bit agitated, started getting tunnel vision, uh, Got all these nukes, almost all the nukes put together. Well, don't forget about your ring. And I, I don't know if you saw my hand or if my hand started to hurt. But no, know- you came at me because you're, uh, you said my finger's starting to hurt. My finger was turning black, and it was about eight times bigger than it should be. I'm talking about my wedding ring finger. There's a picture yeah. eventually, and it is. It, it got to the point to where it was like, oh, my gosh. Well, there's an old trick you can do with that. You can take... <laughs> Here's the trick. If you if the, the first trick is if you know you're about to get into a lot of bees and you're wearing a, a regular you know metal ring, take, take it, it off. off. You know, maybe wear one of those like fancy silicone. Is that the yeah rubber ones? Yeah, or whatever the groove rings. Yeah. yeah. Even then, it sounds like it's a good idea just to not have just to take it anything off. on. Yeah. 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 So, ring wise, clothes would probably be good too. You're right. You know, that's that's in the eye of the beholder. See what I did there? I did. Beholder. That was terrible. <laughs> wow. Well, anyways, that ring it, it got big and fat and ugly. There's a trick that you can use the old style dental floss, and you can you can stick the dental floss under your ring and come up through on your palm side. Okay, so you have like a you know four or six inch piece of dental floss on your palm side and it's tucked under your ring and then you wrap the fat part of your finger you make all these winds with the with the with the dental floss all the way down and then what that and then what you do is you pull on the palm side and it actually like swivels the ring it follows the the dental floss and the yeah. dental floss is constricting it's tightening your finger back up and then so as you you're pulling it you're untwining it and your ring can come off well, that works great with old style dental floss. This new plastic stuff. However, this new flat, stretchy, plasticky yeah. stuff, it kept breaking. And after about the third or fourth attempt, oh, Dan, we had we had something to like we lubed it up with. Had a bunch of comfrey salve. Yes. So I went and had that smathered all over. Oh it, yeah. And you were trying to get it with the dental floss, and it kept breaking and breaking and breaking. And I think Don even went in and got some done his his dental floss. My dad was there with us. He had his dental floss. It was all the yuppie stuff, which it doesn't work. Yeah. And so look, I just, I started to get, you know, there was some pretty uh, stressful points on that trip, but there was, there was one point there where I was definitely had some anxiety creeping up pretty severely uh, until I literally just manhandled that ring and just, I slathered it up and just, I somehow got it off. You could be the Willie Nelson, the beekeepers, if you wouldn't have done that. What's that mean, Dan? You don't have one. You'd be missing a finger. You'd be famous. Willie Nelson's missing a finger? I'm pretty sure Willie Nelson's missing a finger. Can I be the John Wayne's of beekeepers instead? Like John Wayne sure. toilet paper? You ever, you ever use John Wayne toilet paper? I have not. It's rough, tough, and don't take no shit. <laughs> <laughs> you got me wondering now if he really is. I never knew that. I thought he was. I thought it was like a cannabis reference. Yeah, I'm, I'm lost on that reference. Well, anyways, got, anyways yeah. got the wedding ring off, and we get all the nukes built, put together. Got all the packages loaded. At this point, my hands were literally like the pink, like Pink Floyd, comfortably numb. But it was like two balloons. My hands were they looked like 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 costume hands. They were massive, big. They were swollen. Uh, they were all puffed up. Couldn't feel. Well, then we had to get loaded up, and it's nighttime and it's raining. Um, and my truck was broke down, so we had to take Dad's truck at that point. And I don't think Dad wanted to be responsible for hauling a trailer full of with that much money wrapped up in bees in it. And we're uh, Dan showing me a picture of looks like a Native American gentleman. It's Willie Nelson oh, holding his guitar, and he's and what do you see on the bottom? He's hand? missing yeah. one he there. He is missing his he's missing a digit. Yeah, right. ring wow. finger from the see, middle. I never knew that. Look at Dan. He's Mister Pop Culture. He's got his hands up. Nah, what's that? Singing your song. I, Butterfly flies away. What is that? It's your favorite song. Is that song. some bluegrass? Huh? Look at look at Dan pretending that that's not his favorite song. And he doesn't have Miley Cyrus tattooed oh, on the that, small of his back. I didn't know who that was. It, Dan's more of a Rebecca Black kind of person. Uh-huh. So that was my <laughs> most memorable beast thing. Is uh, When the swelling went down and he started counting how many I had. Dude, it was kind of awesome because your fingers went from looking like a 
like normal little breakfast sausage sized. And then in the matter of a few hours, they were like Eckridge Farm kielbasas. They're, it was, and then you got to drive with just using your thumbs oh, on a steering that's wheel. That's where I was going with the story. <laughs> so now we're driving through the Smoky Mountains at night during a torrential downpour. <laughs> Uh, and I literally with trailer brakes with no trailer brakes, <laughs> and then I don't have any hands. Like I'm using my thumb and the meat of my that fat part between your index finger and your thumb. I'm using that to steer. Yeah, that was a white knuckle ride. Like uh, that's an understatement. I'm so, pretty sure Mike's advice kept us alive through that one. Oh, and watch out for that it's squirrely. T- yeah, there's a lot go, of sh- when they go say slow. go slow, it means go slow. Yeah, yeah. So I think when the, the total count on that was. I can't remember somewhere between fifty and seventy stings in the hands there. I don't know. How, I don't know how I, could, I didn't get sick. It, it yeah. gave me an energy boost, like like I couldn't believe though. Well, well that's uh, the what you think? Vitamin C. Yeah, a bunch of vitamin C. Yeah, yeah. Well, you sound like you turned it. out better than Macaulay Culkin and my girl. I that didn't end so well for that little fellow, did it? Sure didn't. I have not seen that. You never seen that? My girl. Yeah, my girl. You never nope. saw that. No. I can remember before I got into beekeeping. I was, was afraid of bees because of that movie. My Girl? Yeah, with Macaulay Culkin. You know, the Home Alone kid? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's the, that's the guy right there. Yeah, so the he, movie, him and the, him and the girl, and uh, he like got attacked by a bunch of bees, and yeah, he died. I have no idea what that movie is. How does is. Dan, the movie Dan, Dan right? I, I'm going to share a secret. I don't know that one either. Okay, oh thank my you. Oh my Let's gosh. just end this See, podcast. And you call me Mr. Pop hurry. Culture as you're over here singing Miley Cyrus and whipping out movies that are supposedly popular, but turned out to be just random indie films. No, that was actually a popular movie. Okay. You ever see the one where the, the family, they accidentally leave the kid behind when they go on va- vacation for Christmas time? And he's left behind, and these two bad guys try to break into his house, and, and he sets up all these booby traps and stuff. Christmas story. It's like the kid was left at home, like he was home that's, alone or that's something. That's why he had the rifle, right? Yeah, it was a Christmas yeah, story. That's why he, he wanted that Red Ryder BB gun. Right. Yeah, how the yeah and he shot Christmas. all the burglars. Yeah. Anywho. Anyways. True story. All right. Let's move on to our next question. Right. You're next. doing a terrible job of hurting next the cats. Hey, <laughs> hey. So, let's see. Terry wants to know... How and when she can open her bees up this spring? How warm should it be? And when she should take the sugar off? Uh, I do 40 degrees is roughly my point. If the bees are out flying, then I'm comfortable with getting in there. For how many days? I mean, because we have the weather that... Oh, if it's if it's 40 degrees and they're out flying for a few hours, I'll be fine popping in there as long as they're out flying. I'd say they broke cluster. And so I'd be comfortable going in there and checking it out. Anyone else have any Jimbo? differing opinion? I, I mean, I generally have a 50 degree rule. Um, I'm a, I got have a little bit, probably a little bit colder nights up where I'm at. So, I mean, I don't know that there's an exact science to this for, for, for this uh, situation, but I just use 50 degrees as my rule. Yeah. I, well, I always figured if they're able to be out flying, then it's good enough for me to open the hive. So 42, a little too cold for me. Uh, but it probably depends on what exactly it is that you're trying to do. Yeah. Like I, if it's 40, I will absolutely not go in and pull brood frames out and start to and start having a look, especially if it's any kind of a breeze. That's a little too cold. I usually use 50. Now they'll fly. I, mean, I see them fly at 40. If I'm going to go through and add a little bit of sugar or just to check to make sure that they're okay. Yeah. I don't, 40 wouldn't bother me. Yeah. That's if not bad. they're flying, if it's 40 and they're not flying, then I'm not going in there. Because a lot of times they're just quickly breaking cluster, going on a cleansing flight, coming right back in. More importantly, if it's 40 to 50 degrees and you want to get in there and it's not a breezy day, you crack open the lid and you can look down and see. If you see them that they're clustered and they're moving super, super slow, don't break the cluster. Don't go in there. No, There's nothing breaking, you need yeah. to do in there anyways. But I think her question is more so how early in the year is she supposed to get started with hive inspections and actually get into I, the hive? Yeah, I kind of think that's what she's what she's getting at. kind of unwinterized and get yeah, things I mean, ready for spring when the bees are yeah. open for business. So to yeah, speak. if you have a hive, you know, that's overwintered um, and you're trying to, you know, figure out when it is you're supposed to get in there and start maintaining it. You kind of have to think about, well, why would you have to go in there and maintain it? The reason you'd be going in and maintaining it is as that hive starts to build numbers early spring, uh, late winter, um, you want to get ahead. Of, you want to get in there at the right time to either split them or to build them up. 
Uh, and so to do that, you want to make sure it's not 40, probably hardly even 50 degrees outside when you're pulling brood frames out because it'll chill quick. 55, 60 degrees, you're probably fine to pull them out. Look at the brood, look at the eggs, put them back, manipulate those hives, checkerboard them, do your regular maintenance in there. Um, and then I think you're, you're totally fine. But you're, there's things that are going to happen like when the maple starts to, um, to bloom where you're, you're going to start seeing pollen, pollen actually come in on the bees. When you start seeing pollen being brought in, you're at a really good point in time where you can get in there and start working those hives. Um, but I would, you know, to be safe, use 50 degrees. If it's if it's 40 and it's an emergency feeding situation, then you're, I would say, you know, you're better to, in an emergency situation, I think you're better off to to, uh, to open it when it's a little bit cold to add feed than uh, to not add any feed at all and they die of starvation. So I think that's okay. And I think when she asked about when to remove the dry sugar, be about the same time you know when when we see the uh the maples are blooming and they're starting to bring pollen in go ahead and you can take you can take the dry sugar if, off if you wouldn't the, need it on if there if they're going out and getting around yeah, there's foraging, no reason to right. leave it in there right because at that time if you're worried about it, you can switch to to liquid feeding and get to get to dry off so you can start working your hives yeah she also asked that um she's got so many bees in her hive right now she's wondering if she should split now does she need to get another queen Right, so it's along the same lines there. That could very much be a whole show when it's. I it think is, we did a whole show. Did we? Uh, there's a well. There's a lot. There's a life cycle. Of the honeybee. That's an important one to understand. Um, I thought that, we did one on splitting. We did we probably did one on splits? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I mean, early in this, you know, you want to wait. You know, if whatever a lot depends on whatever her goals are for the bee yard. If she wants to strictly make honey. Um, you know, she wouldn't have to do anything that high. She could literally, you know, stack a box on top, checkerboard, and she could put, um, you know, some fresh uh, frames of foundation in the brood chamber, move the honey up, leave some of the honey down low still, of course, though. When they're bringing in pollen like that, um, you put that second box on top to give them more room to start building up uh, and get ready for that spring flow. You could go about it that way. If you wanted to make a couple extra hives, you know, the early spring is a great time to go to make those splits once pollen comes in. Because pollen's what they're going to mix with the nectar to make the bee bread to feed the brood. So you're not, there's not really a uh, a time on the calendar that this coincides with. It's nature's calendar, phonology. When they actually see them bringing pollen in, they're about ready to start doing what they need to do. Um, so that's a good time of year to, to start doing the split. So, uh, Terry, you wouldn't have to get in there and start really doing anything until you start seeing pollen coming in. Um, but when it's warm enough to go in and have a peek, you can kind of see where they're at. Um, and when we get like a really warm freak day early, you can do a full hive inspection uh, and kind of see what's going on and get them kind of, uh, set up to succeed there. What do you think guys? That makes sense. That's pretty sound advice right there. I'm game. (laughs) So, um, I had actually posted a couple of questions and one that I'd, I've had in the past and not thought to ask was, do you guys do any um, plantings, plantings in the fall that would be like an early bloomer come spring so that when the bees come out, you know, and they go out looking for that pollen, um, that you already have something maybe in bloom or just coming up, almost ready for them, that they have an immediate food source to be able to go to. Well, like for us cutting firewood and things like that, I intentionally leave maples. That's one thing I do. Uh, it's not really on my firewood list. It depends on how desperate, but that's one tree that I don't really try to ever cut down and just leave alone because that's one of the first big bloomers for us. Kind of sets the whole season off once the maples go. Yeah. Something to keep in mind is that you're, <clears throat> what you plant or have there is not necessarily for your bees, but for somebody else's bees. Yeah, if you're, that's a good point. If you're planting flowers and crops in your bee yard, I mean, the bees, you'll see bees on there, but, you know, bees tend to have a, a, a flight plan. Yeah. That doesn't include them jumping right out of the hive and going under the hive to forage on anything. And not to be a Debbie Downer, unless you're planting hundreds of acres, it's really kind of drops in the bucket, in my opinion. Yeah, it takes like, is it uh, five million flowers to make one pound of honey? that what it is yeah it's something incredible mm-hmm. yeah so are you planting five million flowers i don't plant flowers 
Oh, I can see that. <laughs> but, you know, there's also something to be said about, you know, leaving something behind for the next generation. Oh, very or much for so. somebody else or, or doing your part in your environment for yeah. those things. Because we're not only, you know, unfortunately, beekeepers, a lot are just focused on honeybees. Yes. There's a whole big uh, ball of diversity with every other bee species in each of our own areas that benefit um, from all those things, too. So There's other bees than honeybees? I just came as a joke. Just oh. all, nothing but honeybees. Okay. Okay. There we go. <laughs> so, Jimbo, do you do you what do you do? You plant anything or? You know, I I I don't plant anything specifically. You've I, got a ton of maples. Your whole yeah. property is, is a maple forest. Pretty much maples we got going on. I mean, we like we're collecting sap right now for yeah for syrup still. Um, you know, we have a vegetable garden. We have we do hit, but you know what we do intentionally have planted in our yard. Uh, is echinacea, which bees do like. I have researched that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, it's, you know, we're leaving that bit, you know, for other bees. We're not leaving it for ourselves. You know, I just, you know, don't get disappointed when you plant something specifically because you want your honey to taste like that. That's, right. that's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it might, but it's not from you. Yeah. It's a good point. I, I do the same. We have a lot of maples here. We, uh, we usually leave those alone for the most part, or we tap them like, like, uh, Jimbo does. We do a lot of um, we have a lot of diversity with our plant life with our orchard. Um, they're just the orchard is just starting to get old enough to where they're it's flowering and things like that. So we have a lot of perennial uh, pollen for them, apples and pears, and a lot of berries, elderberries and blackberries, and we have some nuts and things that'll come on hazelnuts and chestnuts uh, eventually. But we'd also plant a lot of, like what Jimbo mentioned there, a lot of medicinal plants, perennials. Echinacea, comfrey, bee balm, uh, things. Even some of the mints uh, have flowers that the, bee, that the bees get on. Uh, so we we plant those all over the place uh, for our bees too. Yeah, we have those as well. The comfrey and the, we do some the mint, like, and it's just yeah. sometimes it's used to being there. So I don't yeah. think about planting it. Yeah, it's it's just there. The only thing really um, that I've ever planted um, for bees is white clover and buckwheat. I have I have planted and red 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 clover which uh, they do work to an extent but yeah as you see them on the yellow and white clover uh, as far as the clover family that and buckwheat um, have worked out you know pretty good for us but that that's also it's beneficial for our other critters too chickens and cows and all that kind of stuff and as we push forward with the farm we're cutting back a little bit on frost seeding in red clover and going a little bit heavier on the ladino white I think mm-hmm. is what it was. Well, since you mentioned the the buckwheat, we'll jump down. Uh, Shane Freeze had a question about advice on planting buckwheat. He has the seed, he has the equipment, and he has the land. He just needs some knowledge. So, um, any tips or tricks? I'm curious to what he what equipment because I've never done anything with buckwheat before. Jimbo, no, I've got no experience with buckwheat. The great thing about buckwheat is if you throw buckwheat on the ground, it grows. Yes. It's one of the most easiest things in the world uh, to actually grow. Well, what, what we've done in the past is just with a four-wheeler and one of those pull-behind uh, discs, Yeah, we'll just you know chew up the ground a little bit behind, broadcast um, the buckwheat just by hand. You can throw it. You can put it at, you know, at a certain rate in a spreader, either like one of those uh, uh, earthways that you just – the little bad, just, cranky, yeah. turny ones. Yeah. Um, that, or you can, you know, a, th- a three point spreader on the back of a tractor or a four wheeler kind of a spreader that, that would work. Um, Is that something you can drill cool. into? You can probably drill it. I think you probably, if I, would it be, would if it I be, guess you'd probably be about a half inch depth. I would think. Was it be any different than winter wheat? Um, I don't think it's, I mean, winter wheat just about grows anywhere you throw it too. Yeah. But if you're actually like farming, farming it, you're you, drilling yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he has a grain, if he's got a drill to to put that in. Most people probably wouldn't, but buckwheat works really easy if you just have, if you can get the dirt exposed, the soil exposed, and you just broadcast it and then just run a drag behind it, a log. Just to cover you know, it back up. fence just to give you like a half inch of coverage. It grows everywhere. The great thing about buckwheat is once it, it grows really, really quick, so you could almost frost seed buckwheat. On yeah. a day where it's warm, you get a little bit of uh, soil over top of it, frost seed it. Uh, I think it's like three weeks to flower. Is that really it's really, it? really quick? And the bees love it. 
I mean, it makes really dark, rich honey. So you can plant that during times of Darth ahead of time. Yeah. To, to kind of help out. Like uh, I've got a bunch of buckwheat actually in the workshop to plant um, this year. And I'll go out in between some of my tree rows um, and, and plant that. The cool thing about buckwheat is once it gets going, it creates a seed and it actually will seed itself. And you'll get another second round out of it. Huh. That'll be like 50, 60 percent. Uh, of the density, just on to go pick up a couple bags. It's so of that. cheap. It, it's so it just cheap. so the the drop off. It's not something that once you put it in, it's going to always be there. It's, no, it's going to kind of. Yep. I mean, take it's, itself. Yeah, out. it'll 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 die off in the wintertime. It's not a perennial, okay. but it makes like a little triangular kind of a real dark brown seed. You can actually collect that seed and grind it and make some really good uh, pancakes with it. Sounds like a lot of work for some pancakes. Yeah, well, what's not a lot of work? Everything's that's worthwhile. It's a lot of work. Crepes are easy. Crepes? Yeah. What's a crepe? It's a really, really thin pancake. He eats it in fancy restaurants. No, my wife makes crepes. You a must thin, be from Columbus. A thin pancake? What do you put on a thin pancake? Uh, Thick apples. Sauce? <laughs> so it's like a, it's like a flat waffle, <laughs> but thin. It's like a flat waffle, but it's thin. Without the waffle. So it's like it's not like a flat waffle, but it's thin. like a pancake, but thinner. Same texture. Because how can you get a pancake any thinner? There's no like fluff to it. There's no fluff. It's a no fluff pancake. But it's a crepe. Is this like unleavened bread? Like a tortilla? Uh, it's a tortilla shell. <laughs> is it a, tor- a sweet tortilla shell? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It, somewhat, but it's softer. And question: Do you put hot sauce on your burrito? <laughs> I do not. Mm. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> anyway. You're yeah. a horrible cat herder, Dustin. Well, it's sometimes it's yeah, just, fun, it's just fun to open the gate and let them go. You know, it's, it's, you never know where they'll wind up. So, um, Steve Harbolt was asking, how many bees on average are there in a healthy hive? And how many bees will a health, a healthy hive multiply to in a single season? And that's probably one of those, it depends. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very subjective. What is first, you have to establish what is a hive. Or what's considered healthy hive. Because your healthy hive is substantially smaller than my healthy hive. Mm-hmm. Is this about context again? Context is key. For me, a healthy hive is a lot of bees in there. I liked my What's a lot of bees? On the brink of swarming. So a full hive. Yes, a lot of bees. <laughs> I think we're looking for uh, values here. Is there a, new, like a numerical, numerical value, value you can put jinx. to it? <laughs> Personal jinx. No jinx back. Well, because you're, you know, if you're running the eight frame or the five yes. frame. A medium frame mediums. versus a deep frame. Since I know Steven, he's somewhat local to me. I think this year I'll reach out and see if he wants to come out and count with me. You guys can go count the bees. But yeah. make sure you put them back. How are you going to keep them from flying while you count them? Just ask them really Duck nice. Tape. Tape. <laughs> I think it all depends on context because, like, a healthy hive could be, you know, one box. It could be several boxes. Yeah. So I think on average, a medium frame has about two thousand bees. A deep has about three thirty five hundred. Okay. Yeah. So if we just factor in, let's say, a medium five frame box probably has about ten thousand bees in it. Okay, and then so uh, maybe you know a ten frame box might have twenty thousand, thirty thousand bees in it to me a healthy hive is a hive where uh no matter the size but when the colony itself is productive where there's pollen there's bee bread at the time of the year where they're actually making brood so you have a queen that is capable of laying and you have nurse bees in a colony that supports that function and then a hive that's free of pest and disease and uh all the the nuisances that go along uh kind of with it so healthy enough to Make bees is, I think, if you dumb it all the way down, a healthy hive is a hive that is propagating itself. So would you say you can get more production out of a five-frame hive than a eight-frame hive or a ten-frame hive? I personally have seen eight-frame eight frame hives are almost twice as productive as a ten-frame. And I've seen, personally, have seen five-frame boxes being at least a time and a half more productive than an eight frame. The management's different. Mm-hmm. It looks a little bit more hands-on, it's a little bit more stacking. Um, but I think when you give them a, a cavity that's 
more similar to the size of a tree cavity, they really seem to do uh, pretty well. They'll they'll adapt and they'll, do, they'll kind of work within the parameters you set them. So like you can kind of you know condense them down and they start working more for you. They really can. I mean, like last year we took a three pound package or many three pound packages and we did three way splits. So we each each split got one pound of these package bees and added a queen. And each one of those packages grew up and most of them made honey. So not only are you not supposed to, they say you can't make honey off a package. Well, we took the package, divided it in three and made honey and yeah. they're doing well for the winter. And we, so that's yeah, what a healthy hive is. We did 10 or five packages, split them to 10, and then split all those one more time. And then a few of them even got split for, what would that be, a fourth time, I think? That's and, health. Yeah. And we were still able to pull a lot. Oh, almost six or six and a half, five gallon buckets full of honey off of. Good question. Cool. Um, Jimmy Collins wants to know, now that you've lost all this weight, Greg, if he can have your old wardrobe. I would say that's tread lightly because you, you're going to get a box of dirty underwear. <laughs> <laughs> hey, some people pay extra for that on eBay. I'm just right. saying. That's a thing. you know. <laughs> Jimmy, you are welcome to all my uh, Rule King pocket T-shirts. And my very fancy Rural King $17 pants. Does it come with uh, popcorn with it? There might be some popcorn. It might be a little buttery one way or the other. I think what he's after is I think he wants my collection of uh, MAGA hats. He, he loves those red hats. If anyone knows Jimmy Collins, there's nothing more than he loves is to make, make America great again memes. He loves them. Just send them to his Facebook page, Jimmy Collins. <laughs> Loves He's going to kill loves you. Loves he him. is Bigly. going to Bigly. kill you. <laughs> Real nice, Clark. <laughs> I have nothing to do with this, Jimmy. You the one told me to do it. <laughs> there was only one other Don't question. I think Dan. it was. I think it was more geared straight to Dan about where he collects his friends. So, how about you want to read the question and the? It, who asked it, it? He asked, "Where on earth who do you collect it? your friends?" Michael Gregory. How do I collect these friends? Wow. I think we touched on that before, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. like a kind of like stray cats. Yeah, yes. yeah, we did. Yeah, Dan pretty much chooses us. We don't choose him. I just keep showing up at places and things. I've always heard that you can pick your nose, pick and your you can friends. pick your friends, but you can't pick your friend's nose. That is completely false. The measure of true friendship is if you're talking to someone while they're on the pot, because that just that's when you get the best friend card. I thought it was friends help you move, real friends help you move bodies. <laughs> See, that's that's, and we've moved some bodies on this. We have moved some yeah. bodies on this. <laughs> See, See, for me, Dan and I had the stepbrothers moment where we we asked each other questions about you know you know what, what were those questions that we we asked? Like you guys in, like oh, we're in the beat lab? Yeah, we the were beat laboratory. Yeah, like you know, like dinosaurs and John Stamos. I, I can't remember the questions. Dan I has, can't repeat Dan them has on a the lot podcast. of those questions. Like, <laughs> how many fingers is William Nelson missing? Yeah, half. False. Half. See, that's exactly <laughs> what he would say. He's not missing any. He's only missing one half. <laughs> and that's not Eddie Murphy. That is Dan laughing. Michael Gregory also uh, he sent me a fantastic question uh, asking, like, what does a year in the bee yard look like? as far as maintenance and, and uh, things that we would actually do. I'm afraid that's going to be a, that's a great episode. That's going to be, that'll be a great podcast episode. We should record and kind of walk through not only a year in my bee yard, but a year in all of our bee yards mm-hmm. because we have, it's so you can't just look at someone's year in the bee yard and try to do it verbatim unless you know exactly their context. Do you do journaling? Do you journal your, your bee yard a year? Um, I used to take, a lot of notes. I think one of the I don't I wouldn't say worst pieces of information that I ever learned from somebody, but you'll hear people say take notes, take notes, have a this, make a big journal, and all that kind of stuff. If that works for you, that's great. Fantastic. I tried that. It was a, a massive fail for me, and I felt like I was chained down to the act of uh, taking the notes for taking the notes' sake. 
Uh, what I have learned is to absolutely not take those kind of notes, but to make physical notes. And so I use Don's brick system in my yard, and that's how I keep up with exactly what's going on on in every single box and every single row. I can look out. Someone can call and say, how many nukes do you have available for sale? I can walk out, not even open a hive, look out and see how many boxes are ready to go. I have I, I label, I mark the, the queens that I'm breeding from a certain way. Um, because of of what I've how I've seen um, them perform, and you could say, well, if you're not taking notes, how do you know what your queens are doing? Like I'm very specific on how I mark the box, and it means a certain thing to me. Um, and so I I actually locate my queens in a specific place uh, in my yard, knowing that she's my breeder queens. It's also so I don't accidentally put her in a cage and sell her, uh, ship her to Colorado or something. Yeah. So, so uh, have you ever tried any of the paper versions or any of the apps or anything? The worst is that, oh, the phone apps are the worst. I I thought that that was going worst. to be a great be all for oh, the. My gosh. It, I've tried two yeah, separate ones. We talked ones. about that for a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I've tried two separate ones and they Even failed. Using any kind of piece of electronic device is an absolute fail for me in the bee yard because well we use it it's good for you taking pictures though isn't it i tried it and that's the hard part I, there's like so much stuff that i'd love to film and document with my with my phone the problem is when you're working a bee, when you're actually working your hives your hands are a mess that's true okay and if you're using gloves your gloves are a mess yeah. so if you're if you need gloves to work your hive and you take your gloves off to take the, it's it's like a whole thing where your your phone is completely schmutzed up with everything what was that Schmutzed. Schmutzed. Is that the Schmutzed. technical term? That's Schmutzed. a technical term. It's a scientific term. It's, uh, <laughs> we're all about scientific beekeeping here at the Contrary Beekeeper Show. Um, and by scientific, I mean completely. So like Jimmy con- Collins is going to get schmutzed underwear? There oh. might be some schmutz in those. <laughs> Jimmy Collins knows all about the schmutz. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't like, I don't like using a phone because the phone, the, the, it gets destroyed with propolis and there's wax yeah. all over it. And then try and take time away while you're in the moment of. Be, now, the, what I try to do is I'll um, every now and again I, I do have a big journal and I'll take it out to the bee yard, and it's not so much to keep track of every single hive. It's more of like an overall broad approach. Like I've been, I've been thinking about this. I don't see it working out, or I've been doing this. I like where this is going. Uh, I want to, you know, continue to flesh this out. I do not keep specific individual uh, notes on individual colonies or rows of performance because it doesn't matter to me. So more of as you're out in the bee yard, just observing. Yep. And then you're making those notes of your daily thoughts or. Yep. And what's great about that is when you, whenever you write notes, like if you've ever sitting down and tried to express what's in your mind onto a piece of paper, You'll find that you have to not only think about that, but you have to, maybe it's just me, but you have to cut through your own BS sometimes when, you, yeah. when you're committing to write that sentence or that piece of note. are you? Is that actually an unbiased thought you're having? I don't know. It's your thought. Is it your subconscious? Is it your here and now? Is it what you're trying to portray in the note? So when you read it back, it says what you want it to say. I, I've you know noticed, what I mean? I've noticed I do something similar for work just to keep track of, yeah, you know where I was, what day, you know if if I know it's something that I'm gonna have to go back for a service call, right? You know, just so I have something to reference back to. Yep. I use a lot of shorthand. Yeah, and somebody will look at my book and have no, no idea, idea what the hell I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah, you know, but but to me, it's time saving. It's space saving. It's yep. indicates immediately what I was thinking, what was going on. Yep. So, I mean, I'm I'm assuming James that since you kind of brought it up with the journal. Is that something you do? No, it's not something I've done, but it's something that's been talked about from other beekeepers. I do it, and you know, and I was thinking maybe it might be a good idea to try doing that this coming up year, just to you know, not not stress myself out by doing it, but just trying to take sporadic notes here and there because you forget about things that happen throughout the year. So maybe like not necessarily taking that notebook out with you at the at the moment, but you finish up doing your your inspection, get out of your, you get out of your bee suit. You go and get cleaned up, then maybe get your your, your little book out and just jot a few notes down. You know what you remember that day. Yeah. I, guarantee, I guarantee in a few more days you're not going to remember that. So like something you're wondering what what went wrong with one hive at the end of the year, 
maybe you can kind of go back in your notes and see what maybe was happening with that hive throughout the year. Because we all got busy lives. You know? I've I've been a well, I still do. I usually keep a sharpie with me, and if there is something super pressing or super urgent to write down, I'll just write it on the top of the lid, and then just date it. So generally, if I find a hive that's queenless or something, I'll just write QL and a date. So but, I know if when I find queen cells or something else throughout the yard, pop one or two of those off and slip them in that hive. Do you ever go back to that hive and you're like, what the hell did I just write? I don't remember. No, no. Actually, it's been a real uh, few times. It's been a lifesaver because hives all look alike. And when you got 25 in a yard. Right. We've talked about that progression going from mixing up like individual quart jars for syrup and then going to a five gallon bucket and then going to a 50 gallon drum to now yeah. th- think about going to a 250 gallon tote. Like I've had this, I've had the same thing as my bee yard has developed. The information that I think I need to collect has also changed and developed. So when I was first getting going and really, really not knowing what I was looking for and needed, I was taking all kinds of notes that not only that I never read, but I could never cipher through for any kind of actually true meaning to it. So I went from like paper notes to trying to do it in, into an app to where I could take, you know, through this app where you take a picture of the hive and you name it and you do, there's all the notes and yeah. then it's like, okay, I'm not actually ciphering back through any of this to, to determine what that actually meant. But I would find myself, I don't know that I, not that I was de- being uh, deceitful to myself, but what I actually translate and see at that point in time is extremely biased by a lot of, a lot of factors when you're in that moment. And then, so I went from that, then I, I went to writing on all my lids uh, using a paint marker because it stays there all year round, doesn't fade. So I make a, I do a paint marker. Well, when I got past 20 or 30 hives, and I need to know what's going on. Now I got to make trips up and down all my rows to try to read my writing on the yeah. on the, the hive lid. So that's where I really put into practice the brick method from the fat bee man. I can stand anywhere in the yard and I can look at every single hive and I know, um, is it ready for sale? Uh, is it queen, right? Uh, and if, if there's a certain way that you don't mark them and you know that they need something because of how you don't mark them or how it lives or an upside down or right side up for me, just like we talked about before, when you learn that all you need to actually look for in the yard is to see if the queen has eggs, like, uh, for me, that's exactly what happened with my note taking. I don't need to know uh, is this frame forty percent full of brood and and there's eighty percent honey. Like I don't need to. I don't need to, those things. I actually don't need to, what I need to know is uh, is that hive ready for sale? Is it queen right or does it need something? Because things change so fast in the bee yard. You take notes and you say uh, my queen was on frame number three. Like the thing about numbering your frames is maybe one of the most ridiculous things that I ever started doing that I quit or putting arrows on and arrow directions on frames. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like they, they, first of all, the bees don't care. Mm -hmm. You can turn those frames any direction that you want. They don't care. And numbering those frames is ridiculous too, because when you're actually working your hive, you're constantly manipulating hives, moving frames up, down, left and right. So this, would this fall in the bad advice column? I, I would say that, is advice for a backyard beekeeper who wants to actually feel like they're in control of a hive. Yeah. But once you realize you're not in control of the hive, you're in control of the management. Or maybe it would be maybe for someone just getting started. Who's just trying to learn. I, I I would even say no, no. Okay. Because it's one more thing that you're doing that that yields. There's, there's, there's no, there's no reason for that. At first I thought I'm, I'm numbering these because, um, I need to keep these frames on the outside because they're honey and the honey ones are numbered thus and such. And then because I somehow was, was telling, once you learn to know what you're actually looking, you can, you can look down into a hive and look straight down and not even open them and see that's a capped honey frame. That's a brood frame. That's a fresh wax frame. And you can see where they're clustered, how they're moving and learn exactly what's going on in that hive before you even pull a frame out. And so I've learned that, the common sense approach to beekeeping is where you don't need all the gadgets. You don't have to overanalyze all these things. The, 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 what is going on in the hive is something that you actually go look at and see and how you mark that and identify that for you, whatever your goals are might be a little bit different. There's probably some folks listening and they're thinking, you know, I, I couldn't keep bees if I didn't take notes because I forget. 
you know, maybe that there's a certain me- we all are wired a little bit differently. Yeah. But I think if beekeepers focused more on beekeeping uh, and and less on the like having of notes and having of beekeeping relating things and get down to actually learning from the bees and seeing what's going on in the hive, your beekeeping grows at a, a super fast accelerated rate. Would you say more of the art keep and focus on the art of beekeeping as opposed to the science? You're, exactly. Yeah. But Maybe. We're not conducting experiments in our yard. We have taking super in-depth notes is not really a target goal of mine personally. Right. So No, I mean, one could drive themselves crazy taking oh, super yeah. in-depth notes. You, where, where would you end? Where do you... I mean, what yeah, if, yeah what, you, it's a rabbit hole. If you keep... If you sit down in your bee chair... And you're honest with yourself, and you keep just keep asking yourself why. Well, why am I taking this note? Well, so I I know how my queen's laying. Well, why? Well, because I want to make sure I have a good queen. Why? Well, because I want it to be a healthy hive. Why? You sound like a, like a five year old. Because <laughs> I want to make honey. Why? Because I want to sell it. Why? Then you can actually steer yourself to specifics to better yeah. understand your goals. Then you realize all I need is a queen that's laying and she's laying well. If she's not laying at all, I'm going to mark my hive a certain way. I'm going to do something about it. If you always just look to the hive for the answer to see where it actually is, that won't lie. That won't change. It'll always be what it is. Your notes, however, change constantly. I don't know. Yeah. That's not a very scientific approach for anyone who is a scientific beekeeper, but it works for me. All right. Yeah. I think we're that fresh was, out of that questions. Was, that was the last and we're, questions. We have plenty oh. of opinion here, don't we? That we do. So. Well, what else is going on? I think that's about it for this episode. Yeah. A lot of questions. Thanks for all the yeah. questions. That was, uh, we'll have to definitely have to do that again. I'm getting ready to start digging into buckwheat. Buckwheat. That sounds pretty interesting. Uh, you, you can't go wrong with. Do you look at the seeding rates of it? This is from uh, Hancock Seed. What is it? It's uh, for overseeding. It's fifty pounds per acre, which seems like a lot. If you, but that's if you're overseeding, and that's also if you're probably collecting for grain. Yes, and then the regular seed. seed rate is seventy pounds per acre. Yeah. So. So if it costs you fifty bucks an acre to plant. At that rate, yeah, but I'm that's not a lot. And I was even look at a look at a bag of pasture mix. Oh yeah, I, I have for sure. You know, thirty pound bag of, of pasture mix is like seventy bucks. Yeah, and that thirty pounds does like a half acre. Mm-hmm. Well, whenever we uh, do frost seeding or something like that, I'll get a couple bags of oil dry. Yeah, and I'll mix that with my seed. Yeah, when we broadcast it out there. That way, it's just a little bit more material. I know some Bulk. people have used yeah. like uh, sand. That's what I use is sand. Yeah. Or compost that's like got a little bit of fluffy horse manure with some sand just to kind of bulk yeah. it up, especially if I'm hand throwing it because then you don't, you know, end up putting down too much. You can spread it out a little bit nice. Yeah. And you have a little bit of topping on top to where if you don't yep. end up disking it, there's m- maybe something that might, might, might cover the load there. So, well, guys, uh, what else? Anything, anything else? No, Not really. Uh, we're pretty much wrapping this up. Probably here. ready for another yeah. cup of coffee here. Thanks, everybody, for listening uh, and supporting the show. Uh, we appreciate uh, when you guys like uh, and share the podcast, and we're reading all the reviews on iTunes. So uh, thanks for all that. Our show is growing at a very fast rate. Um, so we we appreciate all the downloads. It's really my yeah. mom. She just puts it on loop when she. Now your mom is like listening yeah. like a hundred thousand times, and it's just really grown quick <laughs> yeah. in short time. So no, you got all the people mom. in the nursing home listening, and so they just they keep forgetting every time they hear they a just show. Keep so playing they, it. Yep, they just love to hear Dan's voice. My sweet sultry sweet, voice, sultry smoky voice of Dan Eddie, the B Man. <laughs> I, I thought it was Eddie Murphy, but. You know. <laughs> Well, guys, be sure to check out Blask Media, Red Dog Ranch. And if you're interested in buying packages, nukes, or queens from your old pal Greg, naturesimagefarm.com. Uh, our wonderful MC, Dustin, what yes, is his thank wonderful Thank you for YouTube sharing channel? the microphone and the table. Do you have any parting thoughts? Well, no. What's your YouTube channel? 
Yeah, what's your YouTube channel, Dusty? That's ex- exploding. I two videos, and that's all Dan can talk about. What's the? What's they the, are fantastic videos. I didn't even know. I'm gonna have to watch them. Oh my gosh, they are great. What's your YouTube handle? I think it's just my name, Dustin Thompson. So it's Dustin Thompson. Simply Dustin. Simply Dustin. Oh, there we go. Simply. Simply Dustin. Dusty's yeah. YouTube's. Don't feel like you have to check it out. I did a Milwaukee. Definitely the, feel and leave some reviews. <laughs> Let's see. Whoever leaves Dusty the first comment, we'll read it on the next episode. What about the most creative comment? We Ooh. should do something for that. If you like hillbillies, beards, chainsaws, and punny jokes, check out Dustin's YouTube channel, at Dustin Thompson. Thanks for being here and hurting this straight cat of vigilante. Thanks, or I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's it's been real and it's I been would, fun. I would have been happy just being a fly on the wall, so <laughs> it's uh it's always a good time when we get together. So no, that it well is. until next time. Be the change, be the lighthouse, be yourself, be awesome. We'll see you guys. Good night everybody. Good night. Good Still night. Time. Oh, That's okay. fancy. You don't know when they're gonna listen to that. <laughs> Probably never. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look at that crap thing. You want to shower? So our esteemed uh, leader here, Gregory, has shit his pants. <laughs> We're ten minutes in and Greg poops himself. That is fantastic. There's the outtake. I just pooped myself. <laughs>